I've been getting in my steps, lifting weights, and now I'm trying really hard to get as much protein as I can. That's why I'm excited about trying Clean Simple Eats because they're just that, clean and simple. Their protein powder is always grass-fed with no seed oils or artificial ingredients. It's third-party tested and non-GMO and gluten-free. They've got 26 delicious all-natural flavors. You really can't go wrong with any of them. They've got Simply Vanilla and other unique flavors like cookies and cream, caramel toffee, and even cinnamon roll. I have a feeling my entire family may just like Clean Simple Eats protein powder, and they're probably going to use it every day because it's so easy to put into your milk or a recipe my daughter loves to bake or in a smoothie, which my son loves to drink almost every day. You can It's amazing really in any form. Visit cleansimpleeats.com and use the code ASKLISA20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's cleansimpleeats.com with the code ASKLISA20 for 20% off your first order. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting now in the midst of a pandemic. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Damore, author of two New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co-host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. In this episode, we're going to cover dealing with conflict. So, Lisa, I noticed back in March in Wuhan as they opened up, divorce rates skyrocketed. I saw that too. Did you see that? Like people coming out of COVID suddenly realized they didn't like their spouse as much (laughs) as they did at the beginning of this. They like them better when they go places. (laughs) It is hard though, right? We're not meant to spend this much time alone together with our children or our partners. No, I mean, it really is one of those things. Like, we all want more family time, but this is a lot of family time. (laughs) There is no question about it. No question about it. So how do you deal with this? Because, I mean, I think there are a lot of people who are even co-parenting, who might not even be living in the same house, but are forced to interact more closely than ever before. And then you've got relationships of people who have been together a long time, not doing so well, in the start of COVID and have just deteriorated. What's your advice for dealing with people who are trying to cope with their children, um, whether they're young adults or elementary age kids and partners, spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends, people realize a lot about the other person (laughs) in the midst of (laughs) quarantine. (laughs) Um, All right, so let's think of this in two categories. One is where the conditions of living in a pandemic become fault finders, right? Where, where you know, if there was a crack, the pressure on that crack really causes it to, you know, open wide open. So maybe a, 
a relationship that was not in such good shape before, either between adults or between parents and children. The strain of living through this pandemic is definitely making whatever wasn't working well before now work really not well. So there's that. And then let's come back to this question of like relationships that were perfectly fine, but we're just annoyed with everybody all the time Mm. or they're around all the time Mm. and making themselves annoying or we get annoyed. So my experience of COVID-19 is that it just accelerates things. It just exacerbates things. And maybe it accelerates some positive changes. I'm, I'm sure it will. But I'm not surprised that we're seeing divorce rates go up in some countries. You know, we've got China leading the pack in terms of just being out ahead of everybody in the timeline on this because stress is cumulative. And if you were under stress before COVID-19 or your relationship was under stress before COVID-19, then the strain of COVID-19 just lands on top of that and worsens it. And it may bring people to places they didn't think they'd get to in a relationship. I'm not convinced this is the worst thing ever. Right? I'm not mm. convinced that being forced to make a change that maybe one had been able to avoid or get around is a terrible thing. I know it's painful. I, I'm sure it's awful in many cases. But it also may be one of those things where people make changes and address problems that they had been effectively you know, kind of brushing under the rug in the past. How do you know when your relationship is just unable to be repaired, whether it's with a child or it's with a partner? I think you can repair any relationship with a child. So let's let's assume there's always good work to be done in that department. Now, between adults, <laughs> there may come a breaking point. And one of the things I learned along the way in my training is you know you're at a stopping place when you can no longer negotiate the terms of the relationship. What do you mean? So what I mean is if I were to say to my partner, a theoretical partner, listen, I feel like we're not spending the kind of time together I want, or I feel like you're not treating me in the way I want to be treated, or I feel like you're not hearing me when I say this. And it becomes clear that we've arrived at an impasse where that person has no interest in trying to meet me halfway or negotiate or take seriously my concerns, that's usually where things can come to grief. And they come to grief in one of two ways, which is that me, again, in this theoretical role, I might say, well, okay, so I accept that I'm not going to get everything I want out of this relationship, and I've tried, and I will take what I can get, and I will give up on what I'm asking for. Or it may come to grief of me saying, you know, what I've put on the table here is non-negotiable. You're not willing to come to the negotiating table. I'm ready to move on. And then what about relationships where it's just COVID? So, okay. So then there's just like garden variety, too much family time problems. (laughs) So, So one thing that I think a lot of people are starting to discover is that we don't have to be together all the time. You know, I think in the early days, we're like, okay, this is terrifying, and we're home together, and like, let's have theme nights, and let's have family <laughs> game nights, and let's have movie nights. And and that was adorable and cute, and I think um, the cuteness has worn off, and the need to be co- together constantly has worn off. What I am loving hearing about are ways in which people have found time apart in a way that doesn't feel like a rejection. 
So one parent told me about what they call yo-yo dinners, which is you're on your own dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how, how often can a mom do that when a I, parent like, do that? How often must we eat together, I think, is the <laughs> question here. And so one parent or another or a kid would be like, tonight's a yo-yo dinner night, which is basically feed yourself, you know, and and I think that's brilliant. And I yeah. have called that several times since learning it. Um, I have a daughter who's 16 who um, is an incredible diplomat. And I would say a couple months ago, out of nowhere, she said, you know, I think this weekend maybe we should take a sabbatical from one oh. another. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It was so cute. And, and you know, I negotiated some terms with her because I was like, well, can I hang out with daddy? And she's like, yeah, you can do whatever you want, but I will be on sabbatical over in my room and I'll see you guys <laughs> on Sunday. Um, yeah, yeah. And and I loved I love that kind of positioning of, it's not that I don't love you guys, it's that we do not need to be together all the time. So I, I think that that's a place to start in terms of... Um, Reducing friction is mm. to recognize we are not nearly accustomed to being together so much. When you look at the relationship of, of being under quarantine, I mean, you and I talk about this all the time. It, it's wonderful to be able to work from home in a way that I would be on the 7.55 a.m. train to New York every day. And But at the same time, you know, finding the separation from your children who you love and are not meant to be around 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for parents who are are also struggling with their own identity of working, of of trying to maintain a sense of normalcy, but not letting their kids feel that they don't want to be around them? Yeah. Um, I was talking to one of my clinical colleagues the other day, um, and she said a brilliant thing. She said, you know, we're moving from coping to adaptation. Hmm. And, and I think she's really right. Like that that just has been, you know, kind of knocking around in my head for a few days that, since she said it. And I think it's really useful to frame things in that way because we are now really having to adapt to the idea of being in our homes a lot for work and school, both extraordinarily strange conditions. And so it means we probably have to articulate things that we have yet to articulate. And And so what I mean is... I'm getting ready to, you know, get us into a school schedule where I am home all the time. And I I think my daughters will be home all the time. That's what their school district is saying. And to start to articulate, okay, from 8.15 to 11.30, go to school. Mm -hmm. I'll see you for lunch at 11.30. Then go back to school. And I'm using, you know, school in a loose term here, remote, hybrid, who knows what it'll look like. And then I'll see you again at 4.00. But to actually lay out the expected times of when we're going to be able to chat in the Mm -hmm. middle of the day Mm -hmm. and when we're each supposed to be doing our activities, despite the fact that we will occasionally run into each other when we stop to use the restroom or Mm -hmm. run down Mm -hmm. in the kitchen to get a snack. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on the Ask Lisa podcast. So I'm really starting to feel it in my mid-40s, just how much stress, hormone fluctuation, and the lack of sleep can really affect the way your skin looks, from dry skin to dark spots and acne. This is why I love One Skin. They can really help. They've got a simple skincare routine that tackles skin issues at the cellular level. I love that this is an all-women team of scientists. One Skin's developed a proprietary peptide called OS1 that's scientifically validated to actually improve the health of your skin beneath the surface. No irritation, 
no complicated multi-step routine. It's so simple. I really have felt the difference in how my face looks after using this product. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company by focusing on the cellular aspect of aging. OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. So get started today. Try it out with 15% off using the code AskLisa at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with the code AskLisa. And after your purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them the Ask Lisa podcast sent you. EarthBreeze EcoSheets look just like a dryer sheet, but instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra-concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. EarthBreeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using EarthBreeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment, and yet it leaves my clothes smelling so good and it gets them so clean. Here's the bottom line. Making a positive impact in the world doesn't have to come at a cost to you. My clothes are clean, they smell great, and I feel like I actually did something good not just for my laundry, but also for the earth. Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash asklisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. I'm all for healthy habits, but I don't trust quick fixes. This is why I love Daily Harvest. They take all of the work out of eating well, and all I have to do is enjoy. Daily Harvest makes it so easy for me to eat in the nutritious and delicious ways that I like. They take the planning, the prep, the cleanup out of cooking, and they deliver meals that are packed with vegetables and fruits straight to my door. The other thing I love about them is that it's not the same old boring meals. I love their dragon fruit and lime smoothie. I also love their butternut squash and rosemary soup. They also have this wonderful herb squash and asparagus risotto. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash asklisa to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash asklisa for $30 off your first box and free shipping. dailyharvest.com slash asklisa. Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. So should there be rules of engagement with the family? And I'm thinking particularly now with school starting and trying to figure out a sense of normalcy to be productive at work, or if you're looking for work to be able to have that time to look for a job, how do you show your children that you care, that you're engaged? They're likely doing school from home. Do you set up guidelines ahead of time? I mean, and with your partner or spouse or you know, um, if you're co-parenting with somebody else, like how do you, what would be your roadmap this fall for dealing with conflict, whether it's with a partner or, or with the child? So in terms of engagement, I think the more we can be clear about what the expectations are, who's where doing what, if we're all going to be in the house together doing our thing, you know, I think that's a good place to start. Even within that, there's going to be friction. People are going to do things that are bothersome. They're going to interrupt, (laughs) you know, us. We're going to get interrupted. We're going to interrupt our kids. And this is tedious, right? The pandemic at best can be described as tedious. We're all worn thin. I find my own patients can be very, very short. 
and in very short supply. So then the question becomes, when we crash into each other, not if, (laughs) when we crash into each other, how are we going to handle it? And I actually, I love talking about conflict because I think it's one of those incredibly human things that we don't take seriously enough in terms of how to do it badly and how to do it well. Um, and, and this is something I wrote about a lot in Under Pressure, my most recent book, um, because especially as we think about girls at school and girls in their peer groups, you know, they can get into some pretty nasty stuff and we can fault them for that. But I feel like, well, we didn't teach them how to do conflict well, so why are we shocked when they do conflict mm, so badly? Right. So, so what I articulate there and that I find very helpful is to think about three metaphors that for me describe unhealthy conflict, like the kinds of conflict we can easily slip into that are not very good for us. So, or not very good for other people too. So the first is to be a bulldozer, meaning you just like run people over. So maybe I'm working and I get interrupted and I just get angry, you know, just get icky about it. The second is to be a doormat, which is where you let yourself be run over. So maybe I'm working, I've made it clear I can't be interrupted right now. And then I get interrupted and then I just kind of, oh, poor me. Like kind of, you know, it's like like just feel frustrated on my own, but don't do anything to resolve it. The third, and this is the most common, I think, generally and also where I begin, which is to be a doormat with spikes, which is basically (laughs) passive aggressive behavior. Um, I'm not proud, but I have a very powerful passive aggressive streak. You know, you can actually articulate even subdivisions of, of doormat with spikes. So there's using guilt as a weapon. There's, you know, playing the part of the victim and there's involving third parties, you know, in another, in a dispute that's really between two people. So it might be that, you know, I get interrupted and I'm like, oh, what are you doing? How can you do this to me? Right. Or something like that. Um, Do you start at one of these? Do you have a, if you're caught on a bad day, where would you go? You know, it's interesting. I feel like I identify with all of them. Is that about the <laughs> Every on the single day, right? one. It depends on the day. I, um, But, you know, it's interesting how you talk about um, these different methods of, of metaphors of dealing with conflict because you were talking about, you know, how do you do conflict well? What's the key to doing conflict well? Like we all know there's going to be conflict in our lives, yeah. right? So how do you master that before you even get into it? So the key here is to try to not do those three things. Um, and, and part of, I think, how you don't do them is you name them and you acknowledge them and you figure out where your first impulse is. Um, so you try to catch it before you act on it. Mm-hmm. And the metaphor that I like for healthy conflict is to be a pillar where you, where you stand up for yourself while being respectful of the other person. It's hard to do it, and and yet I think, you know, when we're doing a good job of conflict, we can get there. So maybe a kid interrupts us and we say, hey, look, you and I both know that we set out a schedule to prevent this. I'm going to ask you to respect that schedule, and I'm going to respect it with regard to you. Um, You know, so something like that, where we both are direct and kind, but also clear about what needs to happen to keep this particular conflict from occurring repeatedly. When you go into a conflict like this, you know, you talk about be a pillar, standing up tall for for yourself. I think a lot of times the other person then feels like they haven't been hurt, right? Yeah, no, it can be you get to some conflicts where you do feel stuck, right? That even if 
in articulating your own position, you feel like, look, this is fair, I'm being clear, you know, what I'm saying makes sense. And and the conflict that I have um, watched unfold this summer that has been so painful to hear about in my practice and in my community is this one between parents and teenagers around teenagers wanting to see their friends Mm -hmm. because, of course, they want to see their friends. They're teenagers. This is what they do. This is their oxygen. And parents being rightly reluctant to let that happen. And and I have to say, in my 25 years of caring for kids and families, this is the worst situation I have ever seen families put in of – you know, a teenager's absolutely understandable right and wish, well, I guess wish to go out with their friends in the most benign ways, right? And a parent's understandable concern that that in and of itself is dangerous. Even the most, you know, kind of mild activity now feels dangerous. And it's been excruciating to watch families try to work through this conflict because it is unlike any other I have seen in terms of both parties being 100% right and in disagreement with one another. So on that one, I've fallen back on something, some research that I looked at a long time ago that I thought was so smart about how to get out of an impasse in a conflict. And it's where we ask each party to articulate the other party's position. So if a teenager is saying, come on, like, just let me go over to Billy's house, like, come on. And the parent is saying, no, you cannot go, you cannot go, right? And you can just see how this could get so ugly. As corny as it is, a really helpful next step is for the parent to say to the teenager, articulate, say in your own words, why I am scared for you to go to Billy's. And for the teenager to say, to have to think through and say what the parent's position is on this. And and ideally, you know, the teenager would be able to say, okay, well, you're scared I'm going over to Billy's because you have no idea who will be over there really. I am telling you I intend to social distance, but you're worried that I'm not really going to social distance or I'm going to get there and it's just going to be lots of kids who I'm psyched to see and we're going to all flop over each other mm-hmm, like teenagers mm-hmm. do. And, you know, that the teenager could lay it all out. And what when it works best, the parent says, yep, yep, all that. And there's also this other issue about your grandma. So say that too. And the teenager would say, okay, and you're worried about the fact that grandma is, you know, we see her and you're worried about her safety. So really making the adolescent say the parent's position and then trading, having the parent fully articulate the teenager's position and, and really having the parent make themselves say or, or not make themselves say, but like as a gesture and an important gesture say, okay, so I'm my teenager. Here's my concern. Everyone's over at Billy's. All of the activity is there. Friendships are being made. Romances are, Mm -hmm. you know, blooming. Um, There's all sorts of cool stuff going on there. I'm totally missing out. I'm going to be completely out of the mix socially and cut out socially and unaware of what's going on socially. That feels awful. And then even say to the teenager, did I miss something? 
you know, and, and see what they say. Now, this doesn't obviously solve it, but it loosens it. It gives it some oxygen for the teenager and parent to try to figure out some kind of solution to, to more than anything, move out of the posture of being at odds with each other and move into a posture of, okay, we have this shared problem of COVID-19 and we have to figure out some reasonable path that lets both of our concerns be addressed. Do you find that teenagers are willing to do this? Because essentially what I hear is it's teaching the other side, both parents and the teens, a sense of empathy, of feeling what the other person is going through in this moment. That's exactly right. And and it's corny as all get out. So if you, if you ask a teenager to do it, you have to say that. Say, look, I know this is dumb, but I want you to do this for me and I'll go first. Teenagers, I think, will often do it, especially if the teenager hears the parent go first and go in full earnestness, you know, really try to name the teenager's experience. And there is something so mind-shifting about having to say the words yourself about what the other person is thinking and feeling and, and to try to get accuracy there. And, and it does. It cultivates tremendous empathy to have those words come out of your own mouth. Mm. And, and that's true both for the parent and teenager. You know, this reminds me of high school. I took this. I think everybody in the country should be required to take it. It was a law enforcement class taught by Mrs. Jackson at King High School. And she did a mediation class. And what she taught us was when you're trying to articulate another side, your, your side to someone, you say, when you do X, it makes me feel X. And in the future, I would really like it if you X. Mm-hmm. And I think being in high school, it taught a lot of students how to articulate where you're coming from in a way that isn't explosive or reactive. And sometimes that's hard when you're impassioned and you're feeling these emotions and, and trying to get it across to someone who really is not in a space to hear where you're coming from. Yeah, no, I mean, what, what Mrs. Jackson gave you was basically a pillar formula. But you're right. I mean, part of the problem is these interactions are hot and it's very hard in that heat to be sometimes the parents we want to be. And, you know, certainly kids and teenagers are not at their best um, when they're angry or upset or don't feel heard. But what I I think what we could get with this is to um, really be accepting that there will absolutely be conflict. That if, if humans are together at all, especially together like we're together now, there's going to be conflict. And and then you can do it better or worse, right? You can do it, you know, as a bulldozer or a doormat or doormat with spikes, or you can do it all hot, or you can do it without considering the other person's perspective, or you can pillar your way, you can try to take the other person's perspective, you can try to um, to cool off a little bit before engaging fully. But the conflict's a done deal. And, and to even accept that, advances where we are so much further than most people start because a lot of people feel like, oh, no, we've got a conflict. We shouldn't have a conflict. All right, conflicts, they are happening. Yo-yo dinners give you a break sometimes. But I'm always cautious of anything that sounds sort of silver lining-ish about the pandemic. 
But we're going to have a lot of practice at conflict and living with each other in close quarters. We could get better at this. There's no question we can get better at this. I think some of the things you've told me over the summer was this right now, expect conflict. I think that's pretty big. But also saying that being sad or depressed, that you should acknowledge it, that that we're in this pandemic and that's not a crazy emotion or an emotion that you should just, you know, let go lightly. Like acknowledging that you feel that way is also something. Yeah, no, I, um, if we hit a big cosmic reset button on how people feel about negative emotions, I'd actually be okay with that. We have spent, I mean, since 1980, (laughs) since Prozac came on the scene, we have decided as a culture that we don't like negative emotions. That was never helpful. Um, They are part of life. Conflict's part of life. It all needs to be managed. It can be managed better. It can be managed worse. But maybe we could stand down a little bit from trying to not have conflicts and trying to feel good all the time. It's both, in some ways, a tough pill to swallow. It's also a huge um, relief if you can say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to get annoyed with people. We're not always going to get along. We'll try to handle it well. I'm going to feel crummy sometimes. Mostly I'll be able to handle it well. I don't need to be scared of feeling upset. Hmm. I think we're so eager to chase happiness and feeling good all the time that we don't know sometimes that it's okay to feel down and let that in. And if you're not feeling down in a pandemic. (laughs) 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 And I guess another way to sort of put a happier note on it is you can still have fun in a pandemic. And I think as we move from coping to adaptation, we're discovering that too. So Lisa, what would you say your top parenting to go tip would be for today? All right, parenting to go. Thinking about conflict, to stick with our theme. One thing I know is true with kids and teenagers is sometimes when they're upset, they say stuff that the second it is out of their mouth, (laughs) they wish they hadn't said it. This happens with grownups too. You know, they're impulsive, stuff gets out in front of them, their mouths get out in front of them. And it's super inappropriate, and the parent knows it, and the kid knows it instantly. A gracious and also tactical maneuver as a parent in that moment is to say, I'm going to pretend I did not hear that. And it both draws the line that is very reassuring and totally expected by the kid, and lets the kid restart and do over, and spares the parent having to go after the kid for what they did or said. It just lets them hit a reset button. We want to thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll tune in each week as we dig into your latest parenting questions. You can send those questions straight to us at AskLisa at DrLisaDemore.com. Now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or a medical health professional. If you're looking for additional resources or information about this podcast, check out Lisa's website, drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week.